Look, we've been doing a series in our church, and I'm part of the team. So we've been doing a series on, you know, the heroes of faith from um, chapter 11. In fact, chapter 12 says we are surrounded. Um, I love the old uh, versions of the Bible. It says a cloud of witnesses. So we're all familiar with the cloud. So we're going to pull one of the heroes out of the cloud today. I know we've already looked at Noah, who built a, a boat for his family, or a protection, a salvation for his family. We looked at Moses last week, um, and he too um, gave a great illustration of the blood of Jesus over our lives. It's my opportunity to bring to you the daddy of them all, in fact. I want to um, turn to Hebrews and chapter 11 and verse 8, and this is what it reads. It says, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called. It, look, we could spend the entire rest of our morning on that phrase, Abraham obeyed when God called. I've been told that good preaching should comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Well, I feel afflicted reading that. Abraham obeyed when God called. Um, God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. It speaks there and says that he pushes off out into that, says it doesn't even know where he was going, but he trusted God, um, that God would show him where he's to go. It goes on to talk about how Sarah also trusted God. In fact, it says of Sarah, she believed that God would be faithful to his promise. And then if we come down um, to verse 17, it continues with Abraham and says this, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promise, was ready to sacrifice his one and his only son. Even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned. And if I could simply say that faith is not a mystical, um, you know, close your eyes and hope for the best. It is reasonable. It is sensible to the spiritual person. So Abraham reasoned that if God, um, if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. I wanna say this, think about this. In truth, it was not Isaac on the altar. It was Abraham. Because God could bring Isaac back to life, but God could not control the heart of the man. He had to willingly surrender to God's plan. So in that sense, this was an altar that Abraham put his life on. And I wanna talk about that. We have a term, um, you'll be familiar with this, called the father of. I'll give you one if you like, um, uh, Walt Disney. He is the father of animation. Um, so it's good. Now, here, here's the fact. He did not invent animation. It was invented quite some years before him. But this is what the definition says. Certain individuals are remembered for making significant contributions either to the birth or the development of a field in a field of endeavor. These individuals are called the father of or the mother of that field of invention. And to that we get Walt Disney, and of course, um, with Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and all the rest of it, M-I-C, all right. Uh, 
We, we understand he's the father of animation. Here's another one from your, your country is full of them. Um, Henry Ford um, is called the father of the automotive industry. Now, of course, he did not invent the automobile, but it was Henry Ford that, that developed the, the mass product. In fact, if you're driving an F truck, you were still driving for the last 20 years America's favorite sold vehicle. Um, last year, it sold 653,000. I'm sorry for all the Chevy boys. You were second, not by much, but second. And the Ram boys, you were third. And then if you, fourth is the RAV4, and then fifth is the Camry, and which five in Greece or Hebrew is the number for grace. And if you drive a Camry, you'll need plenty of it. <laughs> no doubt about it. All right. And um, so, oh, and of course, um, ladies, you've got Mother Teresa. Don't even need to say anything else about Mother Teresa. I think she invented or um, pushed compassion at another whole other level. So Abraham is called the father of faith. Now here's the truth. We're all asked to live by faith. Real, real quick fire, Habakkuk and chapter 2 verse 4 says the just shall live by faith. Romans chapter 1 repeats that phrase and talks about, we can throw them up so you can see them. It repeats the phrase and says, the just shall live by faith. Galatians 3 repeats the phrase. Now, by the way, the apostle Paul is simply speaking to a local church. He writes a letter, sends it to a local campus pastor and asks that campus to read it to a church in a town called Galatia. And in that chapter 3, he quotes Habakkuk, uh, it's quoted in the letter to the Roman church. Now it's quoted to the church in Galatia. And a fourth time it's quoted in the letter to the Hebrews in the chapter preceding the one we just read. And it says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38, it says, now the just shall live by faith. It, that's what it said in Habakkuk. It said it in Romans. It said it in Galatians. And now it says it in Hebrews. We're not going to park on here, but I do want to say this to you, that in English, we have a dictionary for words. But we don't have a dictionary for numbers. But in Hebrew, they have a dictionary for words and numbers. Like in English, you say, what's two mean? Uh, two. In fact, if you were to look in the dictionary right now and look for the definition of the number four, it will say this, the number following three. <laughs> That's what it says. But in Hebrew, it's a totally different understanding. And the people of antiquity understood. So when they saw four times in the early church, they understood this. Let, let me, I'll help you. If I lost my keys, and Josh, you've got to help me find my keys, man. He'll say, where have you looked? I'll say, I've looked north, south, east, west. What's he to suppose? What have I just told him if I said I've looked north, south, east, west? It mean, yeah, well, except for the place they are, but I'm sort of suggesting to him I've looked everywhere I can think of because that's what four means. Incidentally, you may not be aware of it, but the word news is an acronym for North, East, West, South because it's the news from everywhere. If you were to tell somebody, I've been to the four corners of the earth, you have told them that you have been everywhere. So the number four is... In the tabernacle of Moses, we're doing a little bit of church history now, but in the tabernacle of Moses, when God said, build a tabernacle to represent how I want to communicate with my, my children, 
at the very entrance of the tabernacle, there were four pillars. And this was not an accident. This was not architecture, you know, fang shui, as they say, um, where I come from. Um, they say it different in other places, but we call it fang shui. No, this was deliberate because God wanted, see, when a Hebrew walked past the tabernacle of Moses and counted one, two, three, four pillars, they instantly knew no one can't go in there. Whatever they're doing in there is for all of us. That's why there's a Matthew, Mark, a Luke, and a John. It's because the gospel is to be preached to every man, every woman, every tongue, every tribe. I don't know, you're listening to me, you think, no, God couldn't love me, you've got to hear me. The number four says he does and always will. So, when, but, so now for our lesson, so in Habakkuk it says the just shall live by faith. Good concept. But then it's repeated by the Apostle Paul to the letter to the Romans in chapter one. Then it's repeated to the letter um, to the, the church at Galatia. Then it's repeated to the Hebrew people. Then we read that and what we're to understand is that this is how every Christian is supposed to live. It's a vital sign of faith life, of Christian life, is to live by faith. The just, that's justified. When I did Bible college, they taught us how to remember that word. The word justified means just as if I'd. Just as if I'd never sinned. That's what justified means. And so the justified, look at me, I am not perfect. I am justified by the sacrifice of God's son, Jesus Christ. That's what you need to hear me say today. But now that I am justified, um, by my faith in God, I am to live. So there's saving faith. Now there's living faith that outworks my testimony. Now I've taken a minute or two to say that, to now come back to Abraham to say he was called the father of faith. So if he's the, like, the big kahuna, if he's the El Supremo, the father of faith, then let's have a look at how he outworked his faith life. And I think there'll be some good lessons in here for us. First thing, so what did he do to earn this? Did he build a big boat before anybody had heard of rain? No, we heard about him two weeks ago, that was Noah. Oh, he must have opened the Red Sea, that was dramatic. No, we heard about him last week, that was Moses. Oh, was he the guy that was in the prison? you know, and prophesied the seven good years and the seven lean years and everything that he said came to pass. Now, that was Joseph. You may get to hear about him. Oh, did he raise someone from the dead? You know, put him in the room, breathe on him. He'll wake up and sneeze seven times. Now, that's Elijah. I just want to, I want to have a look at our candidate here. Well, what did he do? Some of you are thinking, yeah, uh, he tried to stay excited about chasing his wife around for a lot longer than most guys do. Yeah. Well, that, that requires faith for some guys, by the way. Oh, but he had a child when he was 100. Look at me. If you've read Genesis 11, that's not without precedent. Because Shem, Noah's son, 
had a son at 200 years of age. And just so that we understand biblical history, Abraham was alive when Shem had that baby. By the way, Abraham died before Shem died. So 12 generations before Abraham has this promise, it's been done. Now, when I see stuff like that, I say, God, how's this guy the father of faith? He didn't do anything. It's telling me I might have to have a look, might have to do a dig, might have to become a biblical archaeologist, have a little dig around. I might have to not just read the truth, but see if I can get to know it. That's what I want to present to you today in the minutes that we've got left. This is what it says in in Romans about Abraham. Even when, chapter 4, verse 18, even when there was no reason for hope. I'm talking to people online that have said that very thing. I have no reason for hope. It's a doctor's report or a business situation, a relationship that's on the rocks then listen to what God's word wants to encourage you. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. We've already learned he's a reasonable fellow. Believing that he would become the father of many nations, for God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken even though at a hundred years of age, there was no Walmart to go and get medication. He figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. Friend, Abraham's story starts in Genesis 11. If you care to do some reading this week, it'll go through to chapter 25. And you'll read about his journey and you'll you'll find the fuller um, understanding of what I want to present to you today. So Abraham and Sarah, Abraham as he's called initially, if I see one thing, they have stayed steadfast. You know, I read somewhere that any dream can be achieved with reasonable planning and hang on to that dream for five years. And yet, it's about 95% of shattered dreams because we're not very good at hanging on. 25 years ago, this year, Susie and I had, um, I feel a little bit like an imposter saying what I'm about to say, but had the best thing I could tell you about like an Abraham steadfastness. We went to look at a home, we had some kids, and then we had another couple of kids, and then we moved a wall, the car's now out on the driveway, and you know, all of our belongings are in storage. So we said, we need a bigger house. So we started looking, and we walked into a house, long story short, and I can't explain it any different, any further than to say Christians will get this. We had that, ooh. I know that's not very reasonable. There's a lot more to the story, but it's where it started. It was, put your hand if you know what I'm talking about. All right, so I'm not weird. All right, Christians get that. Now, then you've got to back it up and make it reasonable. But that's what I got. You have no idea how I felt two years, two years later 
when I got the keys for that house that we believed for. I felt now I know, I know Abraham was 25 years, I was only two, but I had that small taste of, you know, I hung on to something that I felt God said. God said it to me and I, I believed it and I hung on for it and it was absolutely a magnificent moment. Pastor Steve, though, I don't think that's the reason. I won't argue if you think that is the reason, but I want to present another one. It's a bit like two sides to a coin. Heads is worth a dollar, tails is worth a dollar. I'm not arguing for which one's more valuable. I'm just thinking maybe one propelled the other. And so what propelled his steadfastness, endurance? Now let's have a look at that. The first thing I want to mention, I've got five things, and we're going to do them reasonably uh, succinctly. There's the promise. We already read Abraham believed the promise. Well, here's the promise. Genesis 12, verse 7a. It says here, Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I will give you this land, or give this land to your descendants. Now, you need to be aware he doesn't have any descendants. He is childless. He's some 70 years of age. His wife is about 10 years younger than that. Um, and he has no descendants, so God hints at the promise. Now, there are two things that happen when we get a promise. Most of us go the humble route. I remember being prayed for as a very young man by, you know, like one of the big, you talked about the main guy, Pastor Steve. The main guy at the conference said, that young man called me out, and he began to prophesy um, some things that, strangely enough, have come to pass. But I remember when he was laying his hand on my head, uh, can I just correct that? Uh, because it was a she, not a he. Um, when this woman laid her hand on my head, a noted prophet, I was going, I, 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 you know how you get the tape and listen to it later? This is what I hear. No, 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 no. That's me. I'm not sure it was unbelief. It was just, well, it was unbelief. I was, trying to, I was trying to tell you it was humility. And it was, I just couldn't, I'm a welfare kid. I'm one of 12 kids, you know, seven sisters. That's tyranny. And uh, four brothers. My dad left when I was like 11 to 13. And so, you know, failed school, failed my first apprenticeship. And so all that backdrop, and God wants to give me a promise of doing some good things. No. But that's how most of us act. A few of us act the other way. About time, God. Yeah. So you finally got my address, did you, mate? And you say, I don't know anyone like that. Well, you never met James and John's mother. Matthew, she comes, she doesn't even wait for the prophecy, Pastor Josh. She just walks up and says, you're probably going to prophesy, but I'll get in ahead of you. When you get to your kingdom, him on the left, him on the right. Eh, capiche? But here's the thing, in both instances, it's the same. Both of them focus on me in the promise. They both, where do I sit in this thing that God has said? I want to show you what Abraham did. Genesis 12, 7b. God delivers a promise. And Abraham built an altar. And he dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. There's no reference 
about where he sits in the promise. And what I saw is this, that he worshipped the Lord of the promise, not the promise of the Lord. Oh, that is so subtle, it's ridiculous. Psalm 8 says, Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name. Let's bring it down to where the rubber meets the road. I was driving my son to church when he was 16. He's now 30. I was in town. I traveled in those days, but I was in town. So he was on drum roster. So I drove him um, to church, 6.30 in the morning. He's 16. And he's sitting in the passenger seat and he says this, don't know why I'm bothered going early. I said, whoa, where's that attitude? He said, the guitarist is never on time. And I said this to him, I said, Andy, look at me. Psalm 100 says, serve the Lord. It doesn't say, serve the church. I'm old enough to have met a bunch of people that have served the church and left the Lord. But I'm still to see the person that serves the Lord that does not then serve the church my son's 30 now he played drums this morning in the church he goes to so i think he worked it out and praise god for that um seaboard thanks hanging with us if you're listening online the second thing that i see is what what i'm going to call the process so there's the promise now there's the process always straight away which seems to be faith's journey as soon as you get a promise, listen to this verse, Genesis 12, 8, it's the next verse. After that, Abraham traveled south. You ever heard someone talk to you about their business? How's your business going south, mate? And you know, that's never good. It's a bit hilly. That's never good. And what I've found almost as consistent as any biblical tenant I've ever read is that as soon as you've got a promise, things turn topsy-turvy. I don't know if you picked up in what I said before, but God said, that's your house. You might have picked it up, and I said, two years later. That's not normal when you buy a house. God said, that's your house. Well, I tell you, I opened my big mouth. I even put a sign on the back of my office on my new address. I'm down at Ikea looking at all the new furnishings. I've hired a U-Haul. And I get a call, oh, mate, that house you want. Yes, I'm the realtor. Someone else bought that house, mate. Sorry. Abraham served the Lord of the promise, not the promise of the Lord. That is so subtle a shift. It's amazing how your friends drop off when you say, they say, how's the house going? The one you believe them for. Oh, God sold, mate. Oh, okay, God's got something better than what? <laughs> Children of Israel, promised land. Oh, God, they've got giants. Have you got anything better? No. <laughs> That's it. But you promised. Yeah, I'm the Lord of the promise. Now you've got a decision to make. 
If Abraham shows me anything, he shows me that he is a worshiper of the Lord of the promise. He is not a worshiper, or sorry, of the, uh, the Lord of the promise, not the promise of the Lord. I, I hope we're, the cameraman's active enough for Seaboard and online here. I live here. My office is there, but the new house is there. So I get in the morning and I say, honey, I'm going. She said, you're going early. I said, yeah, I've got to go past the house. So I drive to the office down the street where the house is and go to work. When I left the office, I'd go past the house and then go to where I'm living now. I did it for two years. I'm not suggesting that it all got nailed, that I had a good attitude all that two years. Maybe it would have been three months after I had a better attitude. <laughs> Maybe that's why it was two years. I don't know what was wrong with Abraham. It took him 25. <laughs> How long has it taken you, sir? But this is what I want to show you. Look at Genesis in chapter 12. So it says he's going south. It's getting rocky. Look, the minute you've got a promise, Goliath will knock on your door. That's as sure as the sun's coming up tomorrow. But this is what it says in Genesis 12, 9. There, where? South, in the hill country. Abraham builds another altar to the Lord. You wonder what this chair was doing up here. This is what we Christians called the altar. Sometimes we call it devotions. We call it the quiet time. They said, yeah, but that's not elaborate like Abraham's altar. Well, that's because you haven't read Exodus 20 about an altar. Couldn't be elevated. It couldn't be machine rocks, just had to be a few you picked up because it could say nothing to your ingenuity. It just had to be authentic, real, and mundane. Like the alarm going off at 5 a.m. in the morning when no one else is watching. No KPIs, no performance figures, just a man or a woman in the corner of his room saying, God, things are crap right now, but I'm here. Though you slay me, yet I will trust you because you are the Lord of the promise. And I will worship the Lord of the promise, not the promise of the Lord. I don't know what is going on with that house. I've burned more gas this year driving past it. I've lost more friends. I've heard more bogus theology. But I'm here. It says Abraham built another altar. So you've got the promise, and you've got the process, then you've got the problem. And the problem initially is that you worshipped and it hasn't changed. Gee, it'd be great if we get a preacher here to just tell us it's all going to be brilliant. Well, you want me to preach or tell the truth? That's the problem. We worshipped. God, I've been coming. But why still got cancer? I've been coming. Where's my son? I've been praying, pleading the blood. I've put it on the lintels. I built the boat. That's when you've got to find out whether you're following the Lord of the promise or just the promise of the Lord. 
we've got to be so succinct here. Genesis 11 to 25, it's better than a Mills and Boone novel. There's a famine where Abraham's living, so he and his wife go down to Egypt. And this is what Abraham says to Sarah. Listen, you're a bit of a hottie. So if we go down there and they know I'm your hubby, they're probably going to neck me and take you. So can we do a deal? Tell them you're my sister. Now, just for the record, they do have the same father, different mothers. So he's not... Have you ever tried to help God? That's what's happening here. Pastor Steve, I won't go into the story, but I say it so you know, five years ago, I tried to help God. I didn't pass my wife off as my sister. She's Scottish, we don't even have the same accent. It just wouldn't work. But Pastor Steve, you're aware of the situation I'm talking about, so that's, that's, that's my credibility there. But I tried to help God. And I remember talking to a good friend of mine, Wayne, you know Wayne. He said, how you going, mate? I said, Wayne, I've never felt like a bigger loser in my entire life. You see, what happened with Abraham is that he passes Sarah off as his sister, then God visits Pharaoh in the night and says, you're a dead man because you've taken another man's wife. Pharaoh gets Abraham back in, humiliates him in front of everybody, and then de literally deports him, runs him out of town. That's what the scriptures say. Oh, dear. So I want you to see what he did when this happened. So it says he went back toward the Negev, which is a figure of speech in the Hebrew language for um, boats topsy-turvy. And in chapter 13, 4, it says this, they went towards Bethel, and this was the same place where Abraham had built the altar. And there he worshipped the Lord again. Now, I just want to make this simple thought. He returned to an altar. There are times you just haven't got the, you haven't got the energy to build one. Look at me. I've got the energy sometimes to sing your new song. So I'm just sitting there saying, sweep over my soul. If you're over 60, you know it. Remember when they had four words? And they're all in the key of G. Sweep over my soul. So for about a year, five years ago, as best as I could do was just to go to an altar I'd built in the past and sing 50-year-old songs because I haven't got the energy to sing a new song and see if I can find the Lord of the promise. And that's what Abram did. And you're going through it now. I'm talking to people. You're going through it now. You need to find your way back to what God said. The next thing, I've called this the bigger problem. You see, if the devil can't take you out with opposition, he'll take you out with success. This is the bigger problem. It's the promotion. And so it says here, have a look at here, Genesis chapter 13, verse 17. This is God speaking to Abraham. Go walk through the land in every direction, for I'm giving it to you. Look at me. He's already the richest man alive. And now God's saying, you think that's it? Wait, 
but wait, there's more. You got the steak knives? There's a lot more than that. And I want to just be very kind, but I want to read what I've put here. This is where we can get too busy for altar building. The important is sacrificed to the immediate and too busy to come to church, serve the Lord. I want to remind you of Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18. Remember the Lord your God, for he is the one who gave you the power to be successful so that you would fulfill the covenant and that covenant is forged at an altar. When I get busy, busy for what? Busy to take 15 minutes to sit in a chair and surrender everything I've got to Father God? To pick up that old Bible and read a psalm, maybe a favorite book and just be inspired? I'm here to tell you, friend, if the devil can't take you out with opposition, then watch for promotion. But what did Abraham do? It says here, so Abraham moved, 1318. He moved his camp to Hebron. Look at it, there he built another altar. It just seems every time the sun came up to bring it into our day, he never missed his appointment with the Lord of the promise. I got one more altar and I got to finish. It says here, now God, this is where God tells him to build an altar. And this is the posterity. So we're trying to, why is he the father of faith? Well, it's all in the word father. He's sired. We're not talking about physical people here. We're talking about sired his faith. Can you put my mother up again? This is the father of faith, Lydia. You see, it's not a gender term. See, I'm the bride of Christ. You're the sons of God. She is a father of faith because she has passed it on. Of course, as parents, we do with it. Now, I want to be kind to you. She has 12 children. They're not all following Jesus. So she's still at the altar. She still pours her heart out. She's 95 years of age. It's her heart's desire that before she goes to the next life, she sees every one of those 12 kids kneel at the altar. But she's got a couple of stubborn daughters yet. Oh, they're stubborn. But you, you heard the text she wrote. That's a woman who's serving the Lord of the promise, not the promise of the Lord. And I know that some of you here like that, but I'm just saying, find your altar and meet the Lord of the promise. So you do it in the home, but you also do it in the church. Can you put this next guy up? Um, this is my pastor. Put him up, Steve Penny. He's 25 years old in that photo, just returned from Vietnam. And I'm a broken 13-year-old in his church, and he's the youth leader. And he said, I think I can pass my faith on to a kid like that. First thing he told me he was going to do, he said, I'm going, to, I'm going to beat your butt around the block if you steal biscuits from the kitchen once more in the church. That was our first conversation. But 48 years later, he's still my pastor. He passed his faith on. I go hear him preach now and say, he's stealing my messages, only realizing I'm just talking like he taught me. But you can do it at your work as well. And this is what I want to talk to every single person here. 
and you listen, we are to pass on kingdom. I'll do this in 30 seconds. When I was 17, I was a Boilermaker's apprentice and got initiated. They tore all my clothes off in front of 150 other workers, dragged me through a gravel floor and greased me from head to toe. I'm 17 and I am so prudish and so humiliated. But I was a Christian. I went to the next kid in line and said, this won't happen if you don't want to. And Toby, it, it wasn't macho, it was kingdom. I said, this is not right. And I'm not trying to be a hot shot, but not one person got initiated in the entire apprenticeship that I stayed for five years after that event. And every one of us have an opportunity. Toby, I've been all morning, God's been telling you, you are our father of faith. And it ain't done yet. God is going to, Peggy, God is going to exponentially release kingdom through what he's put in your life. And for you and all of us, and for you in Jesus' name. Why is he the father of faith? Because he never missed an appointment. When it was sunny, when it was snowing, when he was not feeling good. Though his body now dead, he believed. And in Isaiah, he's called the friend of God. That's why God made him the father.